0: Stand Up With The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at standupwithatruthcom slash donate.
1: This is Stand
0: Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion, addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at standupforthetruth.com.
1: Welcome to Stand Up For The Truth. I'm your host, Mary Danielson. We're so glad you're with us today. We're going to be talking a lot about Israel, its history, uh, ongoing events with our guest, Jim Fletcher. Jim is the author of a couple of books here. One is called... And I love this. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. How to stop worrying and learn to love these end times. Isn't that a great title? Also, Truth Wins, Heaven, Hell, and the Dangerous Theology of Rob Bell. He also writes uh, an Israel Watch column for Rapture Ready. And he writes two columns a week for Bill Koenig at watch.org. We had Bill on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that's a wonderful site with a lot of information. Also, Jim has a coming YouTube channel for teaching, uh, Bible prophecy. And, uh, this fall, he's expecting the release of a homeschool curriculum called Israel's Story for Junior High Ages. Jim, welcome to the podcast and tell us more about that curriculum. How did that come about? What are some of the highlights? What, Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, thanks, Mary. It's, uh, it's good to be with you again. Um, well, as it happens, uh, the publisher, uh, Master Books, you know, the, the creationist publisher, uh, I worked for them for years, and so I, I still keep in touch with them. They're, they're actually here locally. And uh, so a year or so ago, um, we kind of had a conversation about that, there doesn't seem to be anything in the marketplace um, like it, and and I, I really give credit to the, the publisher because uh, not many publishers in the country would publish something like that. And so w- what we want to do is look at the whole sweep of Jewish history from uh, Genesis to now, and mm-hmm. uh, so we're putting that together. I'm really excited about that. Um, I, again, I haven't seen anything quite like that, and I think it will really fill a, a void
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. We have a big homeschool group up in this area, and I, I just want to encourage them to, to look into that when the, in the next school year comes around. And keep us posted on that, because I think I will. you said that fills a void, and oh, I bet it does. Um, that'll be wonderful and something that the young people need to know. Uh, so speaking of Israel, I mean, let's just jump right in today. There's so many things we could cover. Um, I, I'm going to start with a quote here. Before social media even existed, and we're going to talk about a lot of the lies about Israel. There are so many. Um, before, before social media even existed, Winston Churchill said, a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to get its pants on. And boy, is that true because social media is buying the airfare, basically. Recycled news tells us if there is even one anti-Israel story out there, it is doomed to be reprinted over and over. And therefore, it is getting harder to debunk a lot of that. And some is out of ignorance, and some of that out of intent. So I just want to talk a little bit about, I want to read a short paragraph by a gentleman named Sebastian Savalos. He's a young libertarian with PragerU. He lives in... uh Ecuador. He says there are more lies told about Israel than about any place in the world. I've come to realize that if you believe lies about Israel, you will believe lies about almost anything. And if you know the truth about Israel, you're likely to think straight about most things. In other words, Israel is a kind of truth test. Fail this test and you've fallen into a fantasy world of untruth, a funhouse mirror of the real world. That's a pretty bold statement, I know, but I stand by it, and I'm not even Jewish. Jim, Israel is true north, right, in in the media, in politics, and even in the church. Um, what can you tell us about just what this gentleman said about lies and, and all the things that people will fall for in this world? Yeah,
0: well, you know, of course, I think he's spot on, and uh, uh the the fact is Israel has, has always been an obsession of the international community. And, and, but the thing that, that has been changing in the last several years, I think is how a lot of the church is following suit. Uh, that, that didn't used to be the case. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, you have, uh, uh, even evangelical leaders that, uh, that, that spread untruths about Israel from, you know, the occupation of the Palestinians mm-hmm. to, uh, uh the 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 wall they call it, uh, which is really a security barrier, um, I- I- Israel is lied about constantly and, and we talked about this before. I think what what is foundational to this is um, it, that it, this is a spiritual issue. Mm-hmm. It's It's not purely a secular. you can't answer this fully with secular answers. Uh, you know why would the world be obsessed with a tiny country in the Middle East? Uh, that sort of thing, and and most media, the default position is that everything is Israel's fault. And uh, I remember uh, the late David Bar Ilan was a, a brilliant writer, who's former editor of the Jerusalem Post, and he he really had a lot of insight into this. And, and he said that whenever he read something about his own country, uh, he he, he automatically knew that he couldn't believe it. And and that was whether it was a minor issue or whether it was a major issue. And so for such a small country to be uh, their character, to be impugned as it is on a daily basis uh, is really a, a, a fascinating topic. And, uh, um, you know, the United Nations is obsessed with it and, and the New York Times mm-hmm. is obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's... Uh, It's a problem, but but now we have, you know, Christianity Today magazine will, uh, whenever CT uh, has an article about Israel, you can pretty much bet that it's going to be something negative, and and that Mm. is a really disconcerting thing.
1: Mm -hmm. It absolutely is. Um, Amir Sarfati had an article recently called, If You Call Yourself a Christian Yet You Hate the Jewish People, You May Believe in a Different Bible. Which is absolutely true, because then he goes on to say, the Holy Spirit will never teach anyone that the Jews have no right to the land. The Holy Spirit will never teach anyone that the Jews are no longer God's chosen people. Both of those things are in contradiction to God's written word, the author of which is the Holy Spirit. How do they not get that, Jim?
0: Well, again, this goes back to a spiritual bias Mm -hmm. against the Jews. Um, Let me use another example. A, A preterist... Generally disregards modern Israel, and and yet I believe they can't do it based on scripture. They can't do it theologically, so mm-hmm. they have to come up with other uh, other reasons. And so, um, this this spiritual problem is is the real issue. And you know, as we we talked about before, uh, the last time I was on, uh, oftentimes people have a almost a built in bias against Jewish people. You know, mm-hmm. they've had some uh, negative encounter with someone or, or whatever, and that colors even their theology. But if you just read the text of Scripture, it's very clear that the opposite is is reality. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and yet, I've, I've noticed uh, in the, in the last twenty years or so, you know, if you do Israel advocacy, it 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 often, you know, there's good information and things, but but people don't make any kind of heart connection to it, and and just explaining Israel's plight to people doesn't really uh, impact them very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a real quick story: I was recently talking with a friend who who takes tours to, to Poland to uh, Auschwitz and takes Christians, and and so this person was uh, organizing another. Uh, trip. They've done it for many years annually, and this year they have had to uh, postpone the trip, cancel it because there there just wasn't enough interest. And people actually said things like, "Well, you know, that happened a long time ago," and and, and I really just want to focus on things right now.
2: Hmm.
0: Um, you know, that that's really a sad state of affairs, and uh, and yet that's uh, that's how we see people reacting uh, when it comes to Israel, and as we get closer to the time of the end, I think that is going to actually increase. I don't think we've seen the peak of that yet.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it is a complex issue. It really is. And before I became a believer, I didn't really care. when I was was fairly young, but I didn't really care. And then, then when I started to go through the scriptures and I saw that God still had a plan for Israel, I thought, okay, this is important. Something told me, that Holy Spirit told me, this is important. And then I started to study it, and I thought, this is going to be a challenge to actually even get a grasp on where they fit in the world, where they fit in prophecy. Uh, and some of the questions people, people just on a basic level ask, is is Israel the victim or the aggressor in the Middle East? Does it oppress minority populations or is it a bastion of civil rights? Was it a colonizer or does it have legitimate claim to the land? You know, why does the UN pass all these resolutions condemning them, but they say nothing about Syria or North Korea but i think the bottom line is it doesn't none of it matters as much as israel's neighbors pledge themselves to utter destruction and that would be why arafat just continued to reject land and statehood and all that so many times um talk a little bit about about that you know they rejected statehood in 37 47 2000 2008 i mean is it is it solely because they just want israel gone is that the general idea
0: yeah it really is um so, so whether it's a religious feeling or whether it's purely, you know, political, it really doesn't matter in this context. The, the bottom line is they want Israel gone. They want it to disappear. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Arafat, who, who, by the way, was an Egyptian. He wasn't a so-called Palestinian. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't even an Arab. And, and yet, uh, you know, he he was installed in the 60s as the de facto head of the, the, the Palestinian people, PLO, and, mm-hmm. um, Arafat was never interested in nation building. He didn't want to be a head of state. He, he was a he was a terror chieftain, and and so, uh, literally, his entire career was a facade of peace. Uh, you know, the West cleaned him up in the in the late eighties, early nineties, and and created a, a, a you know statesman out of him. That wasn't what he was about at all. So, hmm. even in those days. When he would speak to CNN or any Western audience, it was all peace and, and olive branch and, and et cetera, et cetera. But to his own people in Arabic, he was preaching jihad, uh, the destruction of Israel, and and so that uh, even today, you could walk through the the Arab quarter in the Old City in Jerusalem, and and even some of the trinkets that they sell and things are are indicative of where they what they really believe. You know the the refrigerator magnet that is a, a little map of Israel, they call it Palestine, and the mm-hmm. entire thing is Palestine.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That, they, they've been raised on that kind of stuff for 70 or 80 years. And, uh, it, and so uh, w- with a few exceptions here and there, the what they used to call the Pan-Arab League has always been anti-Israel. Now, the thing that's changed recently and And I think we're we're still seeing where this is going to go but but the abraham accords um and it, and it probably is just simply a business arrangement between Israel and some of these uh, arab countries right. but but at least there's a thawing in in some of the the rhetoric and uh and, and you know maybe some positive things come out of that but historically the Arabs in the Middle East have always opposed israel
1: mm-hmm Yes. Um, I, I guess I want to switch gears just a little bit. Um, my name is Mary Danielson. I'm talking to Jim Fletcher. We're talking about Israel. Um, who who are the Palestinians? I mean, are they the Arabs in the area? Are they, is it Muslims? What's What's the general makeup of what is falsely called a Palestinian?
0: Right. Uh, yeah, I, they, you know, 7th century uh, Islam was founded by Muhammad, and, and uh, so over... The next several hundred years, the, uh, that religion really took root with the people in the, in the area, especially the Arabian Peninsula and, and that sort of thing. And and so today, uh, what we call Palestinians are really part of that pan Arab nation. Um, you know, it, there's an interesting, very inconvenient fact for supporters of Palestinians. You know, in this, they they claim that the Six Day War Started Israel's occupation of the Palestinian people, and they're oppressed and that sort of thing. But but nobody uh, talks about the fact that the PLO, the Palestine Liberation Organization, was founded in 1964. Mm, okay, three years before the Six Day War, and Arafat then was brought into a leadership position. And if you'll if you go back, and, and anybody can do this, you can go to your library and go to the microfilm section. If you look at what those people were called. Pre-1967, they were Arabs. After 1967, okay. they were Palestinians. The, the Palestinian nation thing is really an invented narrative to to be used as a political hammer against Israel, and it's been used very, very effectively. Okay. So that now, even people in the church believe that, you know, 80 years ago, this band of Jews just came into the region and, and started taking land and, and forcing mm-hmm. uh, the poor Palestinians out, that's, that's really not the case. The history doesn't back up the Palestinian narrative. Um, I'll tell you a really quick story. Back in the 90s, I was looking at the website of the Palestinian Authority, and, and in their historical section, um, it, 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 you almost felt sorry for them in a way, because they were trying to buttress the argument that they were the historical Uh, landowners of the area of of that region and yet their evidence was paper thin they had uh, pictures of currency of of uh, from palestine well if you look closely at it it was simply british mandate currency that was printed with (laughs) arabic english and hebrew right so so there was no such thing as palestinian Mm -hmm. money they also then uh you know, there was some like some children's clothing that they had made that was traditional clothing, and, and a couple of other things like that. In other words, they have no historical basis as a long-standing sovereign nation. There has never, in history, been a sovereign Palestine. Mm-hmm. That was the name given to the region by the Romans. It was that way for eighteen hundred years uh, until Israel was established. But so. The Palestinian people, as as an ancient people, sovereign in the land, is is not in history.
1: Well, and but of course, if you can make the claim that ethnic cleansing's been going on, that gets a lot more press, and that gets a lot more. Uh Oh, you know, I don't know, that's more of a knee-jerk uh, issue when people could say, oh, ethnic cleansing, because, you know, when they founded the state, they uh, ethnically cleansed the local Arabs. Um, but it completely uh, downplays the invasion of the new state of Israel by Arab armies. So that that clearly is not true, and we know that that's not true. Um Here's an interesting comment on, by the Simon Wiesenthal Center. Uh, lie, they have line number one here. Israel was created by European guilt over the Nazi Holocaust. Why should Palestine pay the price? And it says here, 3,000 years before the Holocaust, before there was a Roman Empire, Israel's kings and prophets walked the streets of Jerusalem. The whole world knows that Isaiah did not speak his prophecies from Portugal, and Jeremiah and his lamentations did not come out of France. Uh, revered by its people, Jerusalem is mentioned in the Hebrew Scriptures 600 times and not once in the Quran. Throughout its 2,000-year exile, there was continuous Jewish presence in the Holy Land with a modern rebirth um, beginning in the 1800s, which is Zionism and And so, you know, pioneering Zionists blossomed into this Jewish majority long before the onset of Nazism. So that's just one lie that's out there, that it was just a European guilt. Uh, here's, here's one too. Number two on this site is, had Israel withdrawn to its June 67 borders, peace would have come long ago. Uh, Jim, tell us a little bit about that whole idea of Peace for 67 Borders, Land for Peace, all that sort of thing. Um, Sadat's visit to Jerusalem, Camp David. Uh, what is it about that withdrawal to the June 67 Borders that people are so obsessed with?
0: Yeah, uh, well, you know, this is just another propaganda piece that's used to hammer Israel, and but, but yet it doesn't really exist in, in reality. So what happened was, uh, you know, in, in the Six Day War, June '67, the Israelis literally won a multi-front war in in less than a week. And going in, it was a defensive or existential war. Um, the the Egyptians had mass troops on the southern border. The, the Syrians are doing the same thing in the north, et cetera, et cetera. And and you had other Arab countries also participating. And, and everybody thought Israel's going to, they're going to go down, they're going to disappear. And and yet, completely miraculous uh, victory. So in in that victory, they suddenly, and, and nobody was more surprised than the Jews of Israel at the aftermath of the Six-Day War. All of a sudden, they're now in, in possession again of the Golan Heights in the north. Mm-hmm. Um, they had taken the Sinai Peninsula. They had taken uh, what the, the world calls the West Bank, and that, that, the West Bank is a term created by Jordan's King Hussein, um, but the West Bank, or Judea Samaria, is the biblical heartland. It's the mountain range in the center of the country. So they had a, a, a large land area uh, that that they suddenly found themselves in possession of, and for, for strategic military purposes, they kept it, of course, mm-hmm. because... You know they needed some depth uh, against these these enemies. Um, now now here here's a key thing that a lot of people apparently are not aware of, and Israel's detractors certainly don't talk about. But in the aftermath of the Camp David Accords in the, in the late seventies with uh, with Jimmy Carter and, and uh, Sadat and Begin at Camp David, they they hammered out a peace deal, and but but in the peace deal. Israel actually gave back ninety-three percent of the territory taken in the Six Day War. Wow. Nobody talks about that. They gave back the entire Sinai Peninsula, where they had started mm-hmm. to develop oil fields. Uh, they they had installed communities. That that all went away. Um, they they also, by the early nineties, had given the Palestinian Authority autonomy in a, a, a big chunk of the West Bank. And so Israel has already uh, largely shrunken those borders after the Six-Day War and yet never gets any credit for it. And I'd say one more thing about this. For, for the people that say peace will, will blossom if only Israel would go back completely to the Six uh, pre-Six-Day War borders, Remember in 2005, Ariel Sharon withdrew 8,000 Jewish residents from Gaza. The, the, the idea was, and, and also backed by the American government by the way, that if you give that exclusively to the Palestinians, they will begin to build a state.'ll they'll, they'll begin to you know create opportunities for people, et cetera, et cetera. We all know how, how that went. Hamas immediately took over. And it's been nothing but a bloodbath ever since. I mean, Mm -hmm. Gaza City, the Gaza Strip, is a a horrible place for those people to live. They're controlled by evil leaders, and so if you say that Israel is is obligated to give more and more and more, well, when they do that, it only the, the, the terrorism. There's an uptick in terrorism. Not, not a, not a, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't go away, and and so these these are more inconvenient facts that people don't remember um, or, or didn't know to begin with. My concern is though now and again I always have to go back to what's going on in the church. If you do explain this to people, many people in the church they still don't care. Mm-hmm. It's still going to be Israel's fault. Right. Right. That's that's our biggest problem.
1: Right. There isn't anybody out there who doesn't have an opinion about Israel. And isn't that the most interesting thing, though? I mean, sometimes you see the Lord more in the details. Like, you know, there's been an uptick in, um, in anti-Semitism and Christian persecution. Well, why, why at the same time are those things on the uptick? Well, it's because it's the same God, the God of Israel and, and Jesus of the church. And a lot of people don't even see those little details as proving that God is who he says he is and that there's still a plan for the church and there's a separate plan for Israel. Uh, Jim, there's so much we could talk about. I was thinking about also the Arab Spring, remember, in 2011 and the caliphate and all that. And that seemed to come and go, too. Um, I know there was a lot of press by the president at the time. Oh, we have to support the Arab Spring. Um, whatever happened with that? Because that just seemed to come to nothing.
0: Well, I, I'm going to just give you my opinion here for what that's worth. Um, I, I think that, that what that was really about with Obama was creating chaos oh, in yeah. in the Arab world in the Middle East, uh, which would in turn put even more pressure on Israel. Uh, you know, remember, uh, he, he kind of led a charge to uh, destabilize Libya. Um, oh, right. And then Syria became destabilized. Uh he knew he knew what was going to happen
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, but under the guise of quote freeing the Arab people, uh, they became even more enslaved so and and you know the the Syrian civil war continues to this day I mean it's been over ten years now mm-hmm. um, and uh, and so that that's another sad outcome of, uh, of people meddling in in the lives of, of people over there and and for you know nefarious reasons I
1: think mm-hmm yeah, and there is just so much even now that is coming up with Israel. And uh, we're talking about Damascus. We're talking about Iran. Um, here's a headline from uh, uh, February, oh, I think this was, yeah, the 24th. Israeli warplanes target Iranian officials meeting in Damascus. And, you know, uh, prophecy students look at that and go, wow, uh, first of all, is there anything even left of Damascus? And certainly there must be because of uh, uh, Isaiah 17. But it talks about this meeting uh, in an apartment in a residential building um, with Syrian engineers and Iranian officials, and they were killed, actually. But it says here... Um Syrian security personnel briefed on the Sunday strike said that Iranians were attending the meeting of technical experts at an Iranian military installation in the basement of a residential building inside of a security compound. He said one of those killed was a Syrian armed forces civil engineer who worked at Syria's military scientific studies and research center. Um, so there are things going on. As we all know, Israel knows exactly what they're doing at all times. Uh, but also, this has to do with, I think, the Revolutionary Guard. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this. The Re- uh, Revolutionary Guard, um, they're looking to get uh, some vengeance for the death of uh, General Soleimani in 2020. And now they're saying, we're looking to kill Trump and Pompeo. I mean, uh, <laughs> Jim, what's going on here with this? Uh, is How much uh, success has Israel had in um, Syria? That's an ongoing war for, what, 12 years now? And it seems like Israel is going to do what they want to do. In other words, it doesn't matter what people think of them. They're going to do what they want to do. Do you know anything about this uh, Iranian officials meeting in Damascus?
0: Yeah, uh, you know, Israel has been, uh, Israel's really blunted. Iran's nuclear program mm-hmm. for about a decade slowed them uh, way down on on advancing that. But But another front has been, uh, Iran's backing the, these terror proxies in Syria, uh, particularly Hezbollah. Um, Israel's very good at going in and, and taking out installations and, and doing things and they and you know they always deny that they were behind it. But the IDS and the Mossad are, are the best in the world at covert uh, covert stuff. And and really it's all about an existential Proxy war going on. Uh, Israel doesn't have the luxury of not doing anything. Mm-hmm. If they don't do anything, they're going to disappear. And so, for example, uh, and, and you know, this, the strategies and the details and this stuff is really fascinating. So, uh, I- at the same time that Israel was uh, was was taking out these these guys at this meeting, um, you know, e- each side is is jockeying for positions. So the Iranians have started trying to go around the fact that israel has hit a lot of uh, nuclear installations or uh, terror infrastructure on the ground in syria so now they're flying stuff in they're flying weapons in well Mm. israel then uh, and nobody is better at strategy than israel so then israel decides to start bombing the airfields (laughs) so they can't they can't land their planes so You know, it's not a good situation. It's constant tension. But for people like us, I really think that when you look at those details of strategy, how Israel always stays one or 20 steps ahead (laughs) of their enemy, that is a clear indication that God is really watching over his people today. Uh, the, the Israelis are very good. They're very smart, but but honestly, they're not that good. Uh, so, humanly speaking, um, I think I think they've got some help.
1: Well, and I think we could probably come up with a pretty good sized list of all the ways that God is protecting Israel. In a lot of ways, we don't even know. Um, they don't even know uh, because they're in unbelief. There's another headline: Iran unveils new pave cruise missile that can reach Israel. Um, so again, you know, they're always going to be boasting about their weapons and their weaponry and. And there's just so much going on with drones and it's just unbelievable. It's hard to stay on top of all of it. Who's who's killing who and who's got the latest and greatest weapon. Um so anyway, we are going to take a break. My name is Mary Danielson. We're here with Jim Fletcher. Um very interesting conversation about Israel and we're gonna talk in the next uh geez, the next half a little bit, we're gonna talk about um uh the SBC, um, Southern Baptist Convention. We're gonna talk about some things that are going on with them. It's just an amazing, amazing time to be alive. So, we will be back. We'll be talking about a few other things uh, on Stand Up for the Truth, and we hope that you can stay with us for the second half of the podcast today. And um, we take a break.
0: Your monthly financial support of com is
1: needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth. We're back with the podcast today. Uh, we're talking to Jim Fletcher. My name is Mary Danielson. Um, We certainly hope that you are enjoying the podcast and that you're uh, just getting some information that you can use to share the truth with people about mostly Israel, what we talked about in the first half. Uh, We're going to go somewhere else uh, for the second half here. Uh, There's a headline recently. It says Saddleback Church kicked out of SBC over female pastors. Saddleback Church, the largest church in the southern Baptist Convention has been ruled to no longer be in friendly, quote-unquote, friendly cooperation with the denomination because of its decision to ordain women to the title of pastor, most notable among them, Stacy Wood, the wife of the church's new lead pastor, Andy Wood. Uh, Andy Wood t- took over for Rick Warren, um, not to be confused with Andy Woods, uh, who we've had on this program before. They are two different people. Uh, he took over for Rick Warren, who founded the church four decades ago. Um, uh, when Wood assumed the role of lead pastor, whose flagship campus is in Lake Forest, uh, Stacy was named one of the church's teaching pastors—a role she also filled at the couple's previous congregation, Echo Church in San Jose, California. Jim, help us help us uh, figure all this out and tell us a little bit also about the SBC because they've always been a huge presence uh, in the South, uh, not as much in the uh, Upper Midwest here. But tell us a little bit about the crashing and burning of the SBC.
0: Yeah, um, well, I was born and raised in Southern Baptist churches, and so I I know, I've I've watched this for a long time, and, you know, back in the day, uh, the denomination was very theologically sound, Uh, you know, Bible prophecy was taught, and and that sort of thing. And then, um, in the 80s, 90s, there was a move by some liberal influences to you know, to to increase their standing. And they had what they called a, a sort of a they, they sort of duked it out in a way. And and the prevailing uh, thought is that the conservatives won. And I never believed that I never believed that they actually won because the, the liberals never actually went away. Mm. And and so over time, and it took him a couple of decades but they have now changed the convention to be more of a centrist at best among the leadership, and many of them are outright leftists. Hmm. And and how that happened is, you know, is kind of a fascinating story. And and I know that the SBC has always been called the the nation's largest Protestant denomination at sixteen point four million members. That was the numbers hmm. given for years. Uh, you know, th- the thing is though. If, if you're looking at hard numbers that were actually in the pews on Sunday, it was around 5 million. So while the denomination was, you know, it was large, it was never quite as influential, I think, as people believed that it was. And as the liberal mindset uh, began to take over, uh, you know, it was inevitable that they would come to the place they are now where – you know, the FBC is really hemorrhaging members along the lines of the mainline churches uh, mm. have for, for a long time. I, I believe that eventually they will go the way of, you know, uh, the Episcopalians or, or whoever it might be. Wow. Um, now, the, the interesting thing is, at the same time that was going on, the, the church growth movement was getting launched. Um, so it, Bill Hybels in Chicago... Uh, Rick Warren got his PhD from Fuller Seminary in 1980. Uh, there were only a handful of megachurches in the country then, and, and now there's thousands. Uh, and then, of course, Andy Stanley was the third part of this trifecta um, that that really pushed the seeker-driven model in church. What they have done over time is watered down biblical teaching. That's really what is it's all about mm-hmm. now. If you believe, as we do, that there is a spiritual war going on, that there's a spiritual battle, it would make sense that the enemy would target the strong denominations. And I believe that's exactly what he did. Um, I, I always say that if you want to really understand where evangelical leadership is today, particularly in the in the Southern Baptist Convention, read Jude. Because, you know, it talks about... Uh, they're they're in in the last days in the church. There are going to be people who crept in unawares,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that's exactly what's happened. You have a group of subversives that have come in. They look like evangelicals. They talk like mm. evangelicals, but over time, their teaching is left wing. And and uh, and and the three men that I mentioned, in my opinion, are are the ringleaders of this thing. And and so Warren. As pastor at Saddleback for 43 years, I think it was in many ways the flagship church in in the denomination, I think the second largest congregation. You know, this guy just had sway over an entire denomination, and when he wrote the Purpose Driven Church, which led to the Purpose Driven Life book, that's where it all really took off, because what you have is each denomination has a publishing arm, you know, so the Methodists do, and and everybody. In in the SBC, it's LifeWay. Well, if there's 45,000-odd Baptist churches in this country, um, each church, their Sunday school materials, all their teaching stuff that they get, that they purchase from LifeWay, is what LifeWay decides it's going to be. Like, for example, Mm -hmm. Sunday school teacher doesn't say, you know what, I, I want to get this Francis Schaefer book, or I want to get a Chuck Smith teaching. It's all going to be uniform as Southern Baptist lifeway sanctioned material, and that means Rick Warren. So 20 years ago, the purpose-driven life was, it saturated the convention, and and it's led to the rise now of a whole new generation of yeah. pastors that are modeled on Rick Warren. And, and how he sees things, and, and that explains largely what's happened. Oh, and the, the last thing I'll say for now is w- with regard to the new pastor out there, Andy Wood and his wife, uh, you know, the, the big controversy now is that uh, Baptist churches are now ordaining women as pastors. But there's another thing going on. Uh, in 2010, I began to believe that it would take about a decade before major evangelical leaders would start uh, basically mainstreaming homosexuality.
2: Hmm.
0: And, and that is absolutely going on. So if the Woods at Saddleback are, you know, she's now a pastor, a co-pastor, whatever, they're also helping mainstream homosexual thought and agendas in evangelical circles. That's absolutely going on
1: well I you know I remember when purpose driven came out right before that was something about the prayer of Jabez, and I remember saying you know it's the prayer of Jabez, I just wanted more land what a what a numbskull kind of book to to send out to christianity in in the Christian bookstores, which actually no longer exist anymore but um that's a whole other story but then i thought I remember thinking to myself after this. What is next? Because everything is on a downgrade. Everything that comes out after that is going to be worse. It's never going to get better because Christians never kick anything to the curb. So then comes the purpose-driven life, which was volumes worse. And, I mean, Saddleback has its main campus in Lake Forest which is south of Los Angeles but they have over 14 locations in southern California uh, with an average weekly attendance of 30,000 there are four international campuses Hong Kong Germany the Philippines and Argentina I got to tell you I had no idea that that it was a Baptist church I really didn't know that until several years in after the purpose driven self help book came out came out talk about your amalgamation and just things just becoming one big mess um so I guess my question for you is when it comes to the SBC, have they just become a social justice arm of the church? I mean, is is that how much of social justice plays a part in this?
0: Yeah, they are becoming that uh, as we speak. And the thing is, Warren, uh, I believe, used the Southern Baptist affiliation to, uh, to, you know, he cloaked himself in that. And yet. Uh-huh. Ideologically, he's really not a Southern Baptist. Um, It it was a strategy. It was something to use so that they could infiltrate the last large conservative Christian denomination in this country Mm. for for the purpose of changing it. Mm -hmm. And they did change it. Um, By the way, let me me plug a book. Uh, I've done this before. Uh, I've kind of been around Christian publishing for 30 years. One of the top five books I've ever read is Paul Smith's New Evangelicalism. Yeah. Oh yeah, you can get a copy of that book. Mm-hmm. That will unlock a lot of this stuff for you. It answered a lot of questions for me. Warren's association with Peter Drucker, the business guru, mm-hmm. um, that that really explains a lot of where they have taken the church and. So the bottom line is, they wanted to put left wing thought into evangelical uh, so, uh, places, and and they did it. Uh, they did it honestly. I have to say they were brilliant in how they executed it. They've done it completely so that uh, you know most. Well, I don't know. Yeah, most churches, I think, today generally will have, you know, Beth Moore studies, the purpose-driven life study, that sort of thing. They've they've really taken over evangelicalism. They've hijacked it um, to become, as you said earlier, a social justice ministry arm is really what it is.
1: Wow. While the church was sleeping soundly, correct? (laughs) Wow.
0: Uh, Absolutely sleeping. Now, one thing, though, I'd mention about that. I, I think I think a lot of the leadership at at like second tier level, meaning your local pastor were somewhat asleep and not checking people like Warren. I think your average rank and file church member is probably too busy uh, trying to pay bills, taxes, raise their kids. Mm -hmm. And they don't have time or even the inclination to study this stuff and see what's really going on. But over time, they they sort of sense that something's off, you know. For example, uh, okay, we're canceling Sunday night services now. Well, okay, you know, right. over time, that kind of thing is incremental progress for the left wingers, and and so one day it, it's exactly like the the frog in the boiling pot. Mm-hmm. The people realize too late that things have been completely hijacked. Mm-hmm. Um, there there is no rescuing these denominations in my opinion yeah. I think there it's it's too far gone
2: mm-hmm.
0: um but but in, in a in a in an interesting way even a hopeful way this was all predicted in the New Testament prophetically that mm-hmm. you know it wasn't that we are going toward uh uh, great victory and revivals and a, and a resurgence of the church and things like that. It's every, it, everything is running down. Everything is yeah. getting worse. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly that way in the churches.
1: Well, and, and, you know, you talk about the the bleeding of SBC. And I wonder to myself, because there are still people who want a sound church and they're they're solid believers um, i don 't know about the the younger folks, but the older folks I know still want one. Where do you think and this is just a conjecture on your part? I realize where do you think these people are ending up because it 's very sad because you know that if the people who are leaving the SBC uh, once a, a family tradition going back generations if if the SBC is bleeding to that degree, where are people ending up? Are they just not going to church at all? Are they totally uh, had it with church or what what do you think is actually happening happening there?
0: Yeah, well, this is a really good point you raise. Um, I think that uh, uh, what's happening is, and I should make a distinction here between what I would call the church visible versus, I guess you'd call it the church Mm -hmm. (laughs) invisible. Right. The church visible is Rick Warren. That's that's the big, everybody sees that. But to answer your question, I really do believe that there are still a lot of strong Bible-based congregations out there. I mean... Mm -hmm. There's 300,000 churches in this country. There has to be a sizable number that are still solid, but, but they are, you know, 60 member church, 200 member church. Sure. Uh, the pastor is bivocational. Um, he's not. He's not logged into uh, Rick Warren's toolbox garbage that he that he does and yeah. Andy Stanley stuff that he markets. Um, they, they're still. You know, doing their jobs, and then they're they're putting in the study time to to do their sermons and and so I think it's a combination of that, and then uh, uh you know house churches or even online stuff. Um, and and I want to mention real quick a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, the great Chris Quintana. I I love Chris. <laughs> we we love to tease him sometimes, but Chris has you know an online ministry that is just second to none. I mean, it's yeah. it's straight. Bible teaching through the Bible and it's rich rich stuff and there' there are guys like that out there they're doing that. Randy white's another one mm-hmm. um, and, and then seriously your own ministry of writing and what you're doing now I think I think the real church the the church that's still healthy is now in places like that. Mm-hmm. It's not in the yeah. big visible yeah. mega churches.
1: Yeah, and you know, that's probably a really good thing at the end of the day when you think about it. Yes. Uh, Mega churches yes. don't fit the Acts 242 model in any way, shape, the, or form,
0: right? I'm, so I'm I'm, yeah. I'm glad you said that, and I just want to jump in real quick. And yes, that is exactly the point. The modern American church model bears no... Uh, relation to the mm-hmm. acts model of what a church is. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> it's, it's completely a, a, a fairly new uh, invention, creation, and and it's not what the church was intended to be. No,
1: it's not expedient for the average believer whatsoever. Uh, Jim, I want to talk a little bit about, you talked about the um, the homosexual thing, the LGBTQ thing. There is a conference coming up at Andy Stanley's church, uh, Embracing the Journey presents the Unconditional Conference. And is this loaded with lingo, uh, it's like it's uh, slippery, like nailing jello to the wall. But it's uh, September 28th and 29th at the campus of Andy Stanley Church, North Point Church. It's $400 to get in, uh, and it's basically sponsored by um, a ministry called Embracing the Journey. It exists to build bridges between LGBTQ plus individuals, their families, and the church. Not in spite of the Bible, but because of the Bible, uh, and it talks about. Uh, well, there's a, a speaker. One of the speakers is Chris Clark. He's been a Saddleback uh, pastor for 40 years. They have a transgender son. Um, also at uh, Saddleback, there's a support group called Lead with Love, which tells you a little bit. You got to read between the lines on this stuff, Jim. I mean, what? Um, let me just look here at the uh, some of the sessions. Breakout sessions, embracing your journey with your LGBTQ child, uh, creating a parent a group at your church, unity in the essentials, liberty in the non-essentials. Now, what's that doing at this kind of a conference? Can you tell us just how slippery this is? What's that got to do with LGBTQ?
0: Well, it's part of this subversive uh, model that, uh, that I mentioned that uh, uh, Jude you know, really sort of outlined uh, a long time ago. But what what it is is you have a coalition of people that have come together. Okay, um, and and by the way, a lot of times you hear in the negative guilt by association. Well, mm-hmm. there's actually nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I mean, all mm-hmm. it is is noticing who is partnering with who. Um, you know, the other side can do the same thing with us. You know, where we believe like mind or whatever. It it would be a really fascinating study for people to follow these networks, and so. This particular conference um, not only has some some uh, saddleback influence, but also Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley is a speaker at this conference, and then some other people in, are involved in it who are in his church who are uh, basically openly uh, pro homosexual agenda. Mm-hmm. You know, they they get into the they what they do is they legitimize what I call the madness that we're living in. We live in madness mm-hmm. right now in this country. <laughs> when when you talk about transgender, that there's more than two genders, you're not living in reality anymore. And they're legitimizing that, though. And and as you said, the LGBTQ, uh, all that stuff. It's the homosexual agenda that's being advanced. Now, I want to say something uh, quick here about these networks. Um, and, And I find this absolutely fascinating. I noticed that in this conference, one of the other speakers is Dr. David Gushy. Now, he at one time was aligned with Glenn Stassen at Fuller Seminary. I think Gushy now uh, teaches at uh, in in Georgia. Um, but but so my point is that they all move in the same circles and they all have the same world view. So that if if they're left wing on homosexuality, then they're left wing on, for example, Israel. Dushy is a guy that 10 or 12 years ago he and stassen wrote a paper in which they just attacked christian zionists they went so far as to say that we are sinning and that we basically need to repent of supporting zionism so they're bringing that kind of speaker into something like this and so they're able to hit several topics at once um I, I had some dialogue with Gushy uh, several times uh, in the last time was a few years ago. And I, I, you know, I reminded him, I said, how can you denigrate what you say are fellow Christians by, by saying that we're sinning by supporting Israel's right uh-huh. to the land. And his answer was, Oh, Jim, that was so long ago. Oh. You know, oh, he, he doesn't want, he doesn't want to answer. He doesn't want to right. get into it. Right. But, but going back to this conference, it's that kind of left-wing. These people are left-wing. They're not liberal. Yeah. L- liberal doesn't really exist anymore. Right. Agreed. They are left-wing. They support Marxism. They support the homosexual agenda. They support uh, 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 the, the, the transgender insanity. Um, you know. You notice that you don't hear any of these people condemn this, uh, this ghastly uh, uh, gender surgeries and things they're doing on children. Uh where where is their where's their conscience? Where's their morality? Mm-hmm. It's gone. Yeah. But but I, I want people to pay close attention to the fact that Andy Stanley is part of this community. And if you go look at the sermons that he preaches and if you, you look at what he's teaching, he he is he's already there. Yeah. He's oh yeah. And and, and I, I also believe that this runs parallel to the political agenda out of Washington, because you know, remember in I think it was Obama's second term where I think they first had Biden float this trial balloon of, of same-sex marriage, and then o- Obama did a few weeks later. Uh, they, they were they were judging that the winds were changing in the culture. They always supported the homosexual agenda, but but only now are they they open with it. That is exactly what evangelical leaders are doing. I'm convinced that these Mm. guys have supported it for decades, but they're only now coming out into the open. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I know we're getting close to winding up here, Jim, but uh, it wasn't too long ago that uh, Andy Stanley made headlines with some of these quotes, he says, that you know, the churches must adapt and learn how to include gay people in the life of the church. After all, we should be in awe of the self-sacrifice of gay people whose prayers God did not answer, but who still love God. And then he says, in spite of the clobber verses from the Bible, clobber verses that contem- condemn homosexuality, Christians have a lot to learn from gay men and women who, quote, love Jesus that much who want to worship yeah. with us. Talk about your uh studied ambiguity as they call it. What Okay, Jim. How how did we get here? Uh, it's rhetorical, I guess. But any any uh, further thoughts on this subject?
0: Well, uh, you know, it, it, again, if you if you track New Testament prophecy, this is where we were going to end up. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Paul's Paul's letter in Romans, uh, uh, it, it's exactly where it is uh, supposed to be, and and that's the odd not not odd. It, it's almost a, a hopeful thing, again, that we, we actually are exactly where we're supposed to be on the historical timeline.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and, and the fact that these guys are doing what they're doing is, is indication of that. Um, Stanley is, is, I'm just going to say this, he's absolutely dangerous.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: My question is this, where are the evangelical leaders nationally who will condemn mm-hmm. him in this and his trashing of Scripture? They're, they're silent. I mean, John MacArthur isn't afraid to say something, but he's about the only one.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, that, that's as much an indictment of, of evangelicalism as Stanley himself.
1: Well, and you know these ministries are, are family ministries, and so people are looking for, well, but this is my son, or this is my daughter. I can't possibly condemn them. And so there's that whole element of making it a family thing that I think is just completely watering down uh, what the Bible says. They're not clobber verses. They're Scripture. Um, well,
0: it's it, it's weak to say that I can't confront my children uh, on on these issues if they mm-hmm. believe this kind of thing. If you love your children, you will teach them biblically. If if you're weak
2: mm-hmm.
0: and and you want to just get along and be a friend to your to your children, then you won't say anything, but but you place their faith in peril.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow, so many things to cover in this. It's just so sad to see the way the Evangelical Church has gone. Not like we didn't expect it, but I don't know if we expected to actually be here to see some of this, a lot of it. Um I think that's just really... a. Uh, a difficult thing, and I think that's what a lot of us struggle with. And so we need to be ready um, to, you know, re- reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and patience. That's the hard part; is the long suffering and patience. But uh, it just seems like uh, it's such a dark time. But we're here for such a time as this. The church is still here for a reason, right? And, and that's what we need to focus on. And, and uh, Jim, it's just been uh, absolutely a pleasure to talk with you. We could we could do another hour, and I hope we can in the future. Uh, another podcast on the books. Uh, please share the podcast on social media. Uh, Thursday we have James Harden. Friday Linda Harvey. Monday J B Hickson. Tuesday Selwyn Duke, conservative and author, and much more coming on the podcast in March. We hope you'll join us for all those things and keep an eye on the on the website as you can see the upcoming. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.